Joe has taken the day off, and I am so happy to be here in his stead. If you guys don't know me, my name is Carmen Harper, and I serve Woodlawn as an associate pastor. It's my great pleasure to be here to share the word with you guys this morning. We're going to begin working on a new three-week series, and Joe will be back for the next couple, but today you and I are going to work through the first one. So let's pray and we're going to get started. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and for all the lessons within Let us take the one you are teaching us today to heart. Holy Spirit, direct our hearts and minds that we will receive what you have for us today. Direct my thoughts and words to share what you would have me to share. In Jesus' holy name, amen. So I have a question for you. Who here besides me has ever been their own worst enemy? You're all lying. We probably all at least know someone who's done this in a pretty big way. You know, they lost their marriage, messed up their finances, messed up their career, or the relationship with their kids. And when you stand back and you see that, it's real easy for you to think, you're doing this to yourself, right? I mean, I would never do anything like that. But here's the thing. We all have the potential to become our own worst enemies. And the reason I know this is because you and I have participated in all of our own bad decisions. You have participated in 100% of your bad decisions, and I have participated in 100% of my bad decisions. In fact, we have been the masterminds behind those decisions. And here's why this is a big deal. A single decision is always the first step towards becoming your own worst enemy. We don't mess up our whole lives, usually in a moment. It happens over time, and things just begin to unravel. All the people that we have watched become their own worst enemies. It started with the little small things, you know, one single decision. Because every habit begins with that first time. And every downward journey begins with that first misstep. So what we're going to do over the next three weeks is learn habits that we can begin doing now that keep us from becoming our own worst enemy. Jesus, in one of his most famous parables, said, Anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice It's like a man who builds his own house on sand. The rain came down like it did for us yesterday. The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. But before that, Jesus had had talked about the person who hears his word and does what it says, and he likens that person to the person who builds his house on a rock. And when the rains come and the winds beat against it, that house is okay because it has a good foundation. So this is a principle according to the Bible. It potentially affects all of us. So Jesus was going right to the heart of it. So in this series, what we're going to do is start three preemptive habits to keep us from messing up. And the first thing that we're going to do is to start paying attention to the tension. 
So whenever you're considering an option, an invitation, something that comes your way that has uh, that you're considering and you feel like you have that sense of hesitation, a little bit of tension, a little bit of pause, a ding in your conscience, you need to pay attention to that tension. We have to stop selling ourselves and start listening, right? Because here's what happens. We know this. You get invited somewhere you really shouldn't go or get a business deal that, eh, all these things. And, and we, there's something about it that's not quite right, but we start selling ourselves on it, right? We begin to compromise. So maybe it's just not as bad as it appears. I can handle it. So we lie to ourselves and we believe our own lies. And we make up things and choose to believe them. That's the moment we need to start hitting pause. The moment we're creating that internal dialogue that says, oh, it's okay. I can justify doing this. It could be permissible. You need to hit pause. You need to wait a minute. Say, hey, I'm making things up. I'm trying to talk myself into something that may not be good for me. Because you need to realize that that's probably someone living inside you telling you to hit pause. So if you don't hear anything else I say today, remember, we rarely have to talk ourselves into a good idea. You rarely have to talk yourself into knowing when something is right or wise or prudent because we know those right away, right? They're obvious. It's the gray things that get us. Now, there's a fascinating narrative in the Old Testament, and the story revolves around King David, who is the second king of Israel, and it happens after he has been anointed king by Samuel, but before he actually takes the throne. So David had stepped onto the pages of history as a shepherd boy, but he got thrown into the spotlight when he killed Goliath. So here's this young man who became legendary overnight because the, Isra the whole Israeli army was lined up and the Philistines were um, taking jabs at them, taunting them. See, David realized something that nobody else could see through their fear. They weren't, they weren't really taunting them. They were taunting God. And David was just brave enough to try to step up and make that stop. So he kills Goliath, and he's famous. So King Saul sees this, and he brings him in to his inner circle. He gives him great military standing, gives him a place in his court, and he even gives him his daughter, Michael. So now David is the king's son-in-law. And time goes by, and David becomes more and more popular. And Saul begins to see him as a threat. Because he's like, people are going to want this guy to be the next king. And there was even this rumor going around that Samuel had anointed David the next king of Israel when he was younger. And it had happened. So suddenly, Saul is not so fond of his son-in-law anymore. And this story is so interesting. Saul decides to use his daughter to manipulate him and kill him. 
then he thinks better of it. And he's like, no, I know what I'll do. I'll keep sending him out to fight the Philistines. And eventually, they're going to get him. Well, that backfires on Saul because David is so valiant, mighty in battle that he just becomes more and more popular. So one afternoon, Saul loses it all together and tries to kill David. So he has to run for his life. And he can't go home to his family because that will put him in danger. So he just leaves, makes a series of bad decisions, and he becomes an outlaw. And as a result of the fact that he is famous, all the other outlaws in the land start coming to David. And all of a sudden, he's got this little army of outlaws. So Saul's busy running the kingdom, but he's always on the lookout for David. He has spies everywhere trying to find out where David is because he has to kill him before he dies. If not, Jonathan, his son, won't become king. So Saul gets a report that David and his men are in the region of En Gedi, which if you've ever been over there, it borders the Dead Sea, and it's desert. There's a few oases sprinkled here and there that helped him survive, but mostly it's caves and it's mountains. So the text says that Saul takes 3,000 men who are mighty warriors to fight with David, which is way more than he's going to need, right? David has this little small army, but he's not taking any chances. David's a valiant warrior. He's famous for open battle and Saul's going to make sure that he dies. So he takes these 3,000 men and they go into the wilderness looking for David. The word says, Saul came to the sheep pens and there was a cave there. And if you ever see this region, there are caves everywhere. But it says there was a cave there and Saul went in to relieve himself. And this is what I love about the Bible. God does not leave anything out to spare our sensibilities. Saul went into that cave because he was in desperate need of a restroom. So that is exactly what we read. Now, the men all wait outside while the king goes in to do his business. But here's the strategic part about the story. And that's why it's included. Here's the picture. There are 3,000 men outside. You know, that's a lot of people. They've brought wagons. They've brought food. They've brought people to serve them. So there are a lot of people. So David's David and his men have seen them coming. You know, they're not hiding. So David and his men go and hide. Well, where they hide, they hide in a cave. So they're at the back of the cave, hoping that nobody sees them. They've been in there a good while, so they've adjusted to the light. Well, wouldn't you know it, Saul happens to walk in the one cave where David and his men are. Well, Saul just came out of the sunlight, so he can't see what's in the back of the cave. So he goes far enough in to do his business, sits down, and he starts doing it. And all of David's men are like, hey, hey, this is the day that the Lord has told you was coming, right? So what do you, you think is going through David's mind? He's like, there's my enemy. God has told me that he's going to deliver him into my hand, and here he is. I got my men back here. You think that he might have been tempted to kill Saul? Text doesn't show us what he's thinking, but it does tell us what his guys are thinking. And he think they 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 are telling him, "Here's your chance. Go, go kill him." But something inside David 
starts to create a tension. He gets this ping on his conscience. Something within him is ringing this bell. But they're saying, here's the day of which the Lord said to you that he's going to give your enemy into your hand. And you can do anything that you want to. So in his mind, I think David probably began to justify murdering Saul. Probably by saying that God had ordained it by putting him in this cave. And David had likely shared this story with his men over and over around the campfire at night about how God was going to make him king and deliver Saul into his hands. So this is the moment they had been waiting for. And they're looking at David and said, you're right. This is exactly what he promised. Here's your enemy. Go kill him. And we can go home and live in the palace. Now let's imagine we're inside that cave. We're lined up, bored, or we're outside the cave. We're all lined up. We're bored. We're waiting on the king to do his business. And all of a sudden, David steps out of the cave with the king's head in his hand. We recognize David as the next king. Right? I mean, there's very little bloodshed. No civil war. Lives are saved. It's probably a good idea. I should probably just go kill Saul. The adrenaline and emotion. Can you imagine that? What it was like in that room? The pressure that David must have been feeling to do something. This was God's will, right? This can't be a coincidence. I mean, there's caves all over the place. How would he walk into this one? But David felt the tension, the hesitation, the pause within his spirit. Because remember, he was God's, he was a man after God's own heart. He was God's man. And the text says that David took out his knife. And he slowly crept up to King Saul unnoticed. But as he gets closer and closer, that tension within him, within him is growing and it intensifies. And suddenly, and some of you have experienced this, I want you to eventually. I want you to, to come to that moment where you realize, mm -mm, this ain't the right thing to do. I need to pause right here. I need to stop what I'm doing. I need to quit saying this is the right thing. Because, you know, right now, David is determined in this story that his family is going to tell about him for forever, that people are going to tell about him forever. Can you imagine if he had killed Saul that day, his, all of his grandkids running up to him and saying, Granddaddy, tell us the story about how you became king. You know the one where you kill King Saul while he's going potty? <laughs> Tell us that story again. Is that the story you want people to tell? And it says that David was conscious stricken. And somehow, even with all that energy and testosterone and all the things, the adrenaline, everything that was running through him, he stopped. And he was able to pay attention to the tension to his conscience, to God's still, small voice that was inside of him. And he, he was like, 
you were about to kill the first king. Your father-in-law. You're a murderer. And oh my goodness. No wonder I'm feeling tension. This is not who I want to be. So it says he snuck up to the piece of his robe. And he went back to the back. He wasn't going to kill Saul. So can you imagine what his men are thinking now? You have lost your chance. You have lost your mind. I mean, they can't believe this. Can you explain to us what's going on? And he says, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. And the men are saying, okay, you don't have to. We'll do it. We'll all jump on him, right? I mean, we'll do it. We'll take care of him. You don't have to have any blood on your hands. And it says, David sharply rebuked them. And Saul left the cave. So let me ask you a question, and then we'll go back to the story. Are you close? Are you contemplating something that you've been selling yourself on? Trying to make it right within yourself? You're feeling that tension, but, you know, you're, you begin to tell yourself that narrative that, oh, you know, culture does it. It's just the way things are done. You know? Are you close? Is it possible right now you're thinking, I know exactly what she's talking about. This is what I've been going through. I've been selling myself. So you lie to yourself all the time, but at least for a moment, be honest. Are you selling yourself on that idea that's going to ruin your life for the rest of your life? That's going to make you a liar for the rest of your life? Are you on the verge of becoming your own worst enemy? If so, I'd like to make a suggestion. I'm not the boss of you, but I should be. <laughs> Would you at least hit pause? Just stop for a moment and listen to the wiser voices around you. Perhaps listen to that still, small voice that is within you that says, I don't think this is the best thing for you. I don't know, I'm just guessing, but it could be the God that lives within you that loves you, and he doesn't want to see you become your own worst enemy. So Saul exits the cave. He has no clue how close he has just came to death. He gets on his mule, and about that time he hears a real familiar voice coming from the cave he just left. So you can imagine all the eyes are now on David. And David says, the text says David bows low in honor of the king. And then he stands up and he holds out this piece of robe that he cut. And at that moment, Here's the moment I don't want you to miss. In that moment, this is, the, this is the moment that he overcame. This is the moment where he can tell his kids and his grandkids about that future wife that some of you might have, that future husband. In that moment, David showed himself that he was the better man.
So he gives this little speech, and I'm not going to read it all, but this is how he concludes it. He says, Saul, may the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord Lord avenge the things that you have done wrong to me. But my hand will not touch you. I'm not going to do the wrong thing. I will not take matters into my own hands. And because David listened to that still small voice, that hesitation, that little ding in his conscience, he decided that he wasn't going to behave badly just because Saul had. So how about you? As you think about the options that you're considering, that big life change that you've pretty much talked yourself into, The wheels are already turning. You know, you're considering behaving badly because someone in your life behaved badly towards you. Because everybody else does it, right? Come on. Are you considering behaving bad because someone you don't even like? You're going to sell yourself for them? Remember that we rarely have to sell our things sell ourselves on the things that are right. And David has completely humiliated Saul. And Saul's not humiliated by David's strength and valor. He's created, he is, hang on a minute, I'll learn to talk. He is humiliated by David's humility. And now he has no choice but to turn around those 3,000 men and go back to Jerusalem. That's the power of paying attention to the tension. That's the power of choosing to do the right thing. So what are you going to do with the tension that you feel in your life? If you can't quite put your finger on what's going on, hit pause. Sit with it. Listen to it. Let it bother you. Don't rush it. That tension may be God's way of protecting you. He's telling you, get out of your own way. Rely on me. Don't become your own worst enemy. And I'm going to ask you a question. I know it may be painful, but the, the curtain will open for you if you'll let it. And you might hate it, but you're going to look at that thing that you were going to do in the right light, and you're going to realize that you got saved. Your character got saved. This is a, if you listen to the tension, that's preventive, preemptive strike, right? From becoming your worst enemy. Because Every bad habit starts with that first time, and every downward journey starts with that first misstep. So if something is bothering you, let it. Let it bother you. Don't rush in. Don't tell yourself the story that it's okay. It's acceptable. It's justifiable. So I'd like for you to consider making this commitment. We're going to make the commitment 
for, on, three, on all three of these ideas, but the first one is this. Explore rather than ignore your conscience. I'm going to explore what bothers me. Why am I being easy about this? You know? Everybody else said it was okay. Everybody else is involved. Everybody else sees that, that, it, that everybody else does it this way. But I am going to explore rather than ignore my conscience. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your word. The lessons that are there are gold. If we will just pay attention and live the way that you tell us to, we would avoid so much trouble and drama and pain and strife in our lives, Lord. Help us to pay attention when you put that tension on us, when you prick our conscience, when you try to put us on the right path, Lord. Help us to choose wisely. In Jesus' name, amen.